Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Our business is public relations, coaching, and strategy. If you are in the market for communication road mapping, media relations, social and digital branding, coaching and event preparation, or any other services that you think we can be of value, please reach out at www.provisionadvisors.net. Hello, everyone. I am John Schofield. I am your host of the Sing Second Sports podcast. This is your Air Force game pregame show brought to you by our sponsors and delivered to you, the fans uh, who believe in the Naval Academy and the Naval Academy physical mission and what we're all about here. Uh, In this show, we're going to talk to Navy Volleyball head coach Paco Labrador. Also, Navy Volleyball's co-captain, Cammie Herman. As a reminder, everyone, Ward is out. Uh, as Wags was asking him last week, Ward is out there just tail hooking like, like a madman out in Reno, which, you know, everyone loves Reno in September. We're going to talk about the Air Force game in the final segment with Bill Wagner. He's going to deliver to you uh, a bunch of his analysis throughout the week, breaking down where the coaching staff and players are um, after you know, last week's letdown against Marshall, who we have to keep our eye on for the Air Force cadets and what it's going to be like to have that game um, on 9-11. And so before we break, this is a very somber and and important week and, and a very important day is on the horizon on Saturday. And it's not because we're playing Air Force, but it's because it does mark 20 years, which I can't believe, but 20 years since those horrific events on 9-11, events that changed the face of our country, the face of the world, and certainly the face of of us as naval officers at the time uh, that it happened for Chris and myself and also for Ward. And so without any further ado, we'd like to dedicate the remainder of this podcast, and we're going to take this to the first commercial break by recognizing Uh, the Air Force Academy and the U.S. Naval Academy graduates who lost their lives on that terrible day. From the Air Force Academy, Leroy Wilton Homer. Also, Charles Jones. From the U.S. Naval Academy, John D. Yamiki. Wilson Flagg. Kevin Connors. Robert Dolan. Michael McGinty. Patrick Dunn, Charles Burlingame, Kenneth McBrayer, Kenneth Waldy, William Donovan, Ronald Falk, Gerald DeCanto, Darren Pontel, and a gentleman who I saw the night before 9-11 had a conversation with him, Jonas Panic. Please remember these graduates on this day, on September 11th, and and please don't stop remembering them and the rest of the victims of the 9-11 attacks. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk to head coach Paco Labrador and his co-captain, Cammie Herman.
Thank you for sticking with us. And thank you again to our sponsors, Dry 85, Neptown Scoop, The Graduate Hotel, and Sheehy Lexus of Annapolis. Wags, before we get to Coach Labrador and Cami Herman, you know, Chris and I certainly have our uh, personal recollections of, of what 9-11 was for us. In fact, we discussed it last week after the Marshall game. Um, but if you can, why don't you let the listeners know, you know, what, what stories you're working on in the Capitol and what they can read about, um, you know, in terms of how you're connecting the stories of 9-11 to your coverage. Thanks, John. Well, the biggest thing is I'm working on a story about the members of the 2001 Navy football team. They, what it was like to be at Navy playing football in the wake of the September 11th terrorist attacks. And then the fact that it changed their entire military service dramatically. I mean, prior to the terrorist attacks, Ed Malinowski, the quarterback and captain, did not expect to see combat during his five years of military service. So many Navy football players go Marine Corps, and all of those Navy football players that went Marine Corps wound up in Iraq, which was, you know, Ed Malinowski, I just I talked to him earlier this morning, and he mentioned, you know, originally the mission was to go into Afghanistan and clear out this terrorist cell where that had, you know, been fined by Osama bin Laden, and then, you know, within a year or so later, they're in Iraq. You know, they never, ever expected to wind up in Iraq. Um, but you talk to guys like Brian Stan, who was an incredible warrior, Marine Corps infantry officer. And he talks about, you know, leading men where you're going to kick down doors and fully expect to be shot at. It overwhelms me when I think about what these guys did over there in a foreign country fighting this fanatical group of, you know, in essence, terrorists. But it just, it's amazing what they did. But 9-11 changed their lives. They talk about the day at the Naval Academy and how surreal it is. And look what happened. How quickly did the terrorist attacks change the entire Naval Academy? Suddenly there were barricades up. The next thing you know, there are fences. There's, you know, Marines with weapons stationed at, at the gates. I mean, the, the access was tremendous, tremendously diminished and has remained so in many ways. So... It changed the Naval Academy. It changed so much for all of the midshipmen who were at the Naval Academy at the time. And it's really powerful to think about, John. I was telling Chris this uh, last week, and I won't bore our listeners with my full story, but I was at the Naval Academy that morning. Um, I was Lieutenant Schofield. I was teaching celestial navigation and introduction to navigation uh, in Loose Hall. Um, I was sitting right next to Lieutenant Andy Quorum from the class of 96 and, and Lieutenant Patrick Brophy from the class of 95, I think. Um, and we watched the second plane hit the building live. Um, and the yard that day was so, so quiet on such a pretty day. I mean, I'll never forget that it was one of the most beautiful days I've ever seen on the yard. And to have it, to have it, unfold that way was just really eerie and the sheer fear um, on the faces of the mids as they are transiting back to Bancroft Hall where they eventually sheltered in place uh, because we didn't know where the fourth airplane was going. The looks on their faces, you know, mids who had parents working in New York City, mids who had parents working in the Pentagon, um, 
was was just really startling and and it it made me feel if, if people are ever wondering you know what my uh despite my villanova affiliations what what my loyalty is to the naval academy so much of it was built on that day uh being able to live through that horrible day with with you know who i believe are my brothers and sisters from the naval academy uh on 9-11 so um, thank you for that perspective, Wags. We'll be uh, sharing Wags's uh, work on our social media uh, channels, and um, and we are really looking forward to the weekend. You know, in in a way that is kind of bittersweet. You you want it to be here. You want to beat Air Force, but you're also in, incredibly moved by the fact it's been 20 years and just how sad that day was for all of us. So. Let's put that to bed. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it on, on Friday and Saturday as we get there. But for now, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we are going to be joined by Navy Volleyball co-captain Cami Herman. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. This week's episode of Sing Second Sports is brought to you by our sponsor, The Naptown Scoop. Local news with a personality. The Naptown Scoop is our go-to resource for events, music, and more. Follow the Naptown Scoop on Instagram at Naptown Scoop, N-A-P-T-O-W-N-S-C-O-O-P. And subscribe to receive the Scoop newsletter at www.naptownscoop.com. Thank you to the Naptown Scoop for being a fantastic supporter of the Sing Second Sports podcast. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for listening to the podcast. And for our athlete segment, Cami Herman. Uh, she is the five foot ten senior from Brookfield, Wisconsin, uh, serving as the co-captain of this year's women's volleyball team. Cami is uh, you know, right in the middle of the beginning of your school year, but at least it seems like a normal school year, right? So before I throw it over to Wags to ask you the X's and O's of how the season's gone so far, the Kristen Dickman Invitational that just took place, walk me through what it's been like um, just through reform to today. As a student athlete, how much more refreshing has it been after the last year, 18 months that you had to go through? Uh, the energy that the brigade has as a whole is just immaculate right now on the yard. Everyone's so excited to just see each other's faces again, eat together in Kane Hall, go back to in-person classes, really get all the interactions back that we missed last year. Everyone is so eager to go to sporting events again too, which is awesome. We've had great turnouts at our home matches so far, especially the Towson and Michigan games. I know soccer has had great turnouts at their games and it's so fun seeing how excited people are to get back with the brigade and get back to normal interactions there's a lot of energy for sure and we're very excited to get back to normal-ish awesome wags hey good to see you i uh i saw a photo that i guess sports information tweeted it was packed in wesley brown for one of those matches how cool was that oh my gosh it was almost on army level energy the population <laughs> And just excitement that we had in the Wesley Brown Fieldhouse. So did you all, I think you have a new surface at Wesley Brown. Can you talk about that? Does it make a difference? Is, uh, is it exciting for the players? To have oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like playing on a cloud. 
you can just dive around. It's called Terraflex Floor, and actually my club team back home had it too. But mm -hmm. you can just throw your body all around and you get nothing. We're done with getting any bruises, floor burns. It's amazing. We joke That's about cool. wanting to sleep there at night. It's so comfortable to be on. <laughs> Talk about playing a number 23 ranked Michigan. I mean, what's the experience like to go up against a powerful program like that? Um, and I mean, I thought you all fought hard in that. Did you? I mean, what was your give me your take on how you performed, even though it was a loss? Yeah, I'm super proud of the way that we battled as a team. I mean, Michigan came in knowing that we weren't going to give them an easy time. We were going to battle them to the very end, which is exactly what we did. We took a set off them, which is huge for our program. We're looking to get more set wins and even match wins in the future against highly ranked teams like that. But we went in very prepared. We knew our game plan. We knew our scouting plan. And we were ready to battle them. There's never a doubt in our mind that – or there was never a thought about the difference between our two programs. We knew it was going to be a struggle, but anytime we step on the floor, we're ready to battle whoever's across the net. And that's exactly what we did. We came in hard. We came in firing. And it's so fun playing any Big Ten opponent. They're so clean, well-coached. And I grew up in the Big Ten environment, so I kind of know what it's like to be around those programs. Uh, across all sports and it, it's just so much energy so much history and a lot of legacy in any program so playing Michigan was definitely a highlight of my career I wish we took a couple more sets off them but definitely a great learning moment for our team and a great experience to have. Talk a little bit about <clears throat> coach Paco Labrador he has come in here and really energized Navy volleyball and you know Navy volleyball is doing some really great things that Patriot League regular season co-champions, tournament champions in 2018. It was uh, historic for the program and a major step forward. Can you just talk about what Coach Labrador has done to really inject a new level of enthusiasm, energy, and success to Navy Volleyball? Paco brings a huge mental side of the game that I had never seen before coming to Navy. He is so thoughtful and methodical in everything that we do as a program. Every, the six people on the court at any time know exactly what's going on on our side of the net, know exactly the system that's going on, on the other side of the net. We're able to adapt quickly and he just elevates us on a mental side a lot, which helps when we're a little undersized sometimes because we can always be one step ahead of the play. And that's really what Paco has brought to our team. And also he's a big culture advocate for our team. So we do a lot of discussions and podcasts on what it means to be a Navy volleyball player and what it means to represent the program. And so we've been able to buy that in from a team side and a girl side and really just grow it. And so we're a very cohesive unit. It doesn't matter who the six on the floor is. We know that we have the full support of everyone on the bench. We know the future. We know where we want the program to go. And we're all about building a legacy this year to create a dynasty of Patriot League championships. And Paco has really ingrained that and instilled that with us. Now you're having a good season so far with 37 kills. Um, but I wanted to have you talk a little bit about some of your other key teammates. Obviously, right now, leading Navy in kills, Avery Stoll. And maybe explain to us that are not you know, volleyball experts. 
I mean, I've covered a lot of volleyball, especially at the high school level, but I'd never heard of opposite hitter. I know outside hitter. I thought anyone who was outside was an outside hitter, but what makes someone the opposite hitter? And, uh, but she has 57 kills and then Jamie Llewellyn with 54. Mm-hmm. So opposite is on the right side of the court and the outside plays on the left side of the court. Okay. And so having Stowe on the right and then me and Jamie on the left is a great distribution of our offense. It really makes our opposing blockers have to worry about a lot of threats and they're stretched very thin about where to put their priorities. And Stowe is just an absolute rock for our team. Anytime we set her the ball, we know something good is going to happen. I mean, she is having a standout season. She's had a great career at Navy so far. I think she's been a little, she's been hit under the radar for some reason and very soft spoken, I'd say in terms of media coverage around her, but she is just a stud and she's really coming into her own this season. She's a great leader on the team too, as a firstie and I'm very excited for the rest of the season for her because she is just playing great right now. And setting the table for all of you as a sophomore, Avery Miller, she leads the team with 111 assists. Can you talk about her job as setter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, her and Celie Fury are kind of splitting the reps there at the setter position. And so both of them do a great job of distributing well. It Their job really depends on the passer's job and how they're doing. And so we're trying to give them as many options as possible, but they're both very smart setters. They see the other team very well. They know who's having a great night and exactly what kind of ball each hitter needs. They communicate well with all of us hitters and they're doing a great job just leading the team. They're kind of setters are like the quarterbacks of the team to put in football terms, but they're great leaders, even though they're a little younger and they're great communicators. And you can't forget everybody wants to talk about the, the players pounding down the kills and making the blocks at the net. Those are the sexy plays, but kind of the, the real hard job is defense defensive specialists like Kimberly Lynch with 51 digs. Can you talk about the players that are kind of doing the dirty work is what I would call it. Oh yeah, for sure. Kimmy's like our little workhorse and a big energy bubble on the team. She brings the fire. She brings the enthusiasm because a lot of the time hitters were more gassed. I'd say jumping around all the time. And she's just like the groundwork that we have. Everything that happens is centered from Kimmy. She's the foundation of our team and she's also having a great season. Well, fantastic. So good to talk to you about Navy Volleyball. I'm going to throw it back to John to wrap us up. All right. So Cammy, um, if you had a moment uh, to talk about the balance between being a student and an athlete, uh, you've been on the soups list twice. Uh, your fellow captain, um, uh, Taylor Gray is the brigade opso. Uh, you know, this, this semester, you know, walk me through it. Someone's debating uh, coming to Navy to play volleyball. What, how do, how do you talk about the excellence that you've, that you've been exposed to and that you've got, you guys have achieved uh, both academically and athletically? Well, Taylor and I are both a little special because we are both walk-ons. We came here first for school and then decided, hey, let's play volleyball too because we've grown up loving it and playing volleyball. And so we really understand the importance of school first 
and military first. We're very big on time management and prioritizing what needs to be prioritized at each time. We, When we're in volleyball, we're full in on volleyball. We're leaving school behind us. But when we have a free moment, during whether it's a free period, before practice, after practice, we're in the books, we're grinding. We get done what needs to get done. It's all about staying out ahead having good relationships with your professors and mentors, because that's really what sets you up for a career is knowing how to communicate and how to prioritize your time. Well, Cammie, as we go out as an applied mathematics major, what are you hoping that envelope says in November when you get, when you get service assignment? I'm hoping to get that red envelope. I put in Marine ground first. So I'm Marines all the way. Uh, it would mean a, the world to me. It's an honor that I might get to lead a platoon of Marines in the near future here. Kim, I'll tell you what, I really appreciate you taking the time during the school day to join Sing Second Sports. Uh, Wags actually said off camera that, you know, if, if we have like the Sing Second, you know, experiential thing where like we're on the volleyball court with you, that he could absolutely dig uh, anything that you send over the net at him. So it sounds like a challenge. Maybe when we, uh, Maybe when we have this done, you can try to you can try to slam one down his throat. Yeah, you you were asking about the Terraflex. You gotta come experience it. Uh, I would be laid out flat on the Terraflex. Oh, <laughs> uh, Cammy, um, thank you so much. And and from us to you, apologies for it taking us so long to highlight volleyball. What a great program! You're saying all the right things. You're obviously a great example of what a Naval Academy student and athlete is. Um, so good luck the rest of the season. We're looking forward to talking to you more and celebrating a lot of victories. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Navy Volleyball co-captain Cammie Herman. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, we will hear from the aforementioned Paco Labrador about this season and, uh, and how bright it looks ahead. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. This week's episode of Sing Second Sports is brought to you by our sponsors at Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 in downtown Annapolis. Coming to town for a football game? Is it your class reunion? Or just looking for a place to chill on a Friday or Saturday night? Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 are staples in the Annapolis Main Street scene. Whether you're in the mood for a good Cabernet at the wine bar or an old fashioned and a Dry 85 burger, both locations will take care of you. Special thank you to Brian and Lisa Bolter, the owners of both establishments, for being fantastic supporters of the Sing Second Sports podcast. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, everyone. John Schofield back here with Bill Wagner, and it is time for our coaches segment. Uh, awesome to be joined uh, by Cami Herman's head coach, Paco Labrador. He is entering his fourth season as the head coach of Navy Volleyball. In that time, he has compiled a 44-22 and 22 record uh, coming here from a very, very good Wittenberg program, which won the 2011 NCAA championship. Coach, first and foremost, and I asked Cami Herman this, and, and before Wags gets into the Kristen Dickman invitational results and everything else that you're looking forward to this season, for you as, as a head coach, you came in basically right before covid flipped the script on all of us. Uh, so for you on a personal level, what's it been like trying to ingratiate yourself to the staff, the players, get yourself settled as a recruiter during such a unique time to come aboard a new program? No, I know. I think what happened was, you know, first year was like drinking water through a fire hose. We had, you know, trying to figure out division one rules, trying to figure out uh, Bancroft rules, trying to figure out all the parts that go with Naval Academy. 
And then, uh, and then actually, I think once we got all the answers in year two, we started feeling really confident, really good about ourselves. And then COVID hits and suddenly everything gets turned on its head. So I think right when we were hitting our stride, when it came to recruiting, when it came to budgets, when it came to camps, when it came to staffing, all of it, even, you know, team culture and building what we want to do in the gym, it was all really coming together well in that spring before COVID hit. And then we got shut down and uh, things really got turned on their heads. And, and in a lot of ways, there was some some good that came out of it, too. So I, I can't say that it was all terrible. We we uh, learned a couple ways of doing things better and, and actually connected with our players in different ways that ends up being pretty productive. So my last question before I kick it to Wags, we were talking to Cammy a little bit about having fans back and how electric it's been and how loud it's been uh, for Towson, for Michigan. Uh, I was talking to former Naval Academy chief of staff, Steve Vossen, um, at a soccer game a couple of weeks ago, and he and his wife had just come from the volleyball game, and they, they could not stress enough how electric it was um, in the field house uh, for these games. W- what has that energy meant to you and your athletes so far this season coming out of the, the COVID darkness? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge game changer. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Wesley Brown, for, for all that it has going for it, is an intimate uh, fan situation. We've got people that are on top of you on that railing. We've got bleachers that are, you know, 15 feet away from the court. So from a fan's perspective, you're right there. You're feeling the sweat and you're seeing the, you know, you're hearing their, their talk and being able to be really engaged and immersed in the game while at the same time, when you got a load of mids that are just really pumping you up and cheering on every point, uh, volleyball is a momentum game. There, there's no question about it. And sometimes if you, you give up a couple points in a row, uh, if you don't have fans on your side, it's going to take you a couple points to get the momentum back. But when you have 500 screaming people, you just need one play. And if you get one positive play, suddenly the crowd goes nuts and you get the momentum back. You didn't need the other two plays. And that's that certainly is a huge, huge advantage for our team to have uh, to have that place rocking. Wags. Paco, so glad to have you on and glad to be talking Navy volleyball. Let's kind of talk about the program. You know, I'm looking here at the history and there are some rough years. And then, you know, I'm looking at eight and 21 seasons, seven and 23, six and 23. And then. You know, Larry Bach came in, a very respected volleyball coach. Uh, I think he retired with something like almost 1,500 wins in 41 years, the total of coaching. And it, it looked like he got things a little bit stabilized before he retired. In 2016, Navy went 20-9, and nine, but, you know, only fourth in the Patriot League. And when you look back at that, fourth in the Patriot League, sixth in the Patriot League, fifth in the Patriot League, fifth, eighth. So, obviously – the job, number one, was to make Navy more of a contender in the Patriot League. And, you know, right off the bat there in 2018, you're the Patriot League regular season co-champions, and then you're the tournament champions to earn an NCAA berth. Um, talk about what you felt you needed to do to build the program to where you wanted it to be, where Chuck Gladchuck, the athletic director, wants it to be. And, um, you know, I'm sure you don't feel like the job is done yet. Yeah, that's no, it's no secret that that 2018 team was full of seniors that had had way more time with Larry and, and Jeremy and that, and that crew than with, with me and my staff. So the truth of the matter is in, in 2018, uh, and, and there's an advantage to me being really close friends with Larry Bach. 
and we I've known him since my Wittenberg years. Funny story in 2003, when I had my first year as a head coach, the first, the second weekend that I was a head coach, I was trying to win my third ever game. And Larry had just won his thousandth game. And I'm, and I'm playing against him across, you know, across the net from Larry Bach, thousand wins. And I'm looking on three right now. Uh, but we ended up being, you know, close friends throughout that time. So, so when I took over the position, it was really great just to be able to collaborate with him for, for quite some time about really, where does it need to go? And, you know, what can I add to that group of 2018 players that isn't going to reinvent the wheel? Cause they already got a lot going for them, but at the same time, give them whatever nudge they need to maybe get over the hump. And that's, that's what that year was. Uh, and I would say all the years consecutive to that has been just that. It's been adding a few more details, adding a little bit more commitment, adding a little bit more um, sort of buy into what is it going to take to be number one every year, you know, and not just maybe third, maybe fourth, maybe fifth. Like it would be nice to be perennially like, you know, like American has been for the last two decades a contender to win the championship every single year. And, and that's really the standards that we're setting and the benchmarks that we're, we're working towards. Well, and I will tell the audience that Paco now has 500 plus wins. I, I guess you added to it after you hit the milestone, which congratulations, that's very significant. Maybe one day you'll surpass Larry Buck <laughs> in total wins. That's, that's uh, a tall order. I don't know. That's a tall order. Well, so we are talking to you. Cammy and she was awesome and so well-spoken and her passion for Navy volleyball comes through. Um, and she, we asked her to talk about some of the players, Avery Stoll, Jimmy Llewellyn. I mean, I, I think you feel good about the squad you have in place and what it can accomplish. Can you just talk about this team? You feel that this is a Patriot league contender? Yeah, 100%. So we've got these, these, these seniors that have been, you know, under our, under our program, under our coaching staff. Now this is year four, and this is exactly where we should be with this collection of leaders who know what they're doing, you know, every day in practice, every day in the games and the film sessions in the weight room, you know, they're, they're very much on task and very much on board with what we need to do. And what's nice about this is that they're handing down this level of legacy, this level of knowledge to the juniors and the sophomores and the freshmen. So I think this is something that's going to be, you know, now reoccurring. It's just going to continue to propagate the, the leadership and the, and the knowledge. Um, so it's a nice mix. You know, we've got seniors that have been through battle and know what it's like to be on the floor and have played at Army and have won an N-Star game and have played in the NCAA tournament. And then we've got some freshmen and sophomores who are all learning how to do it. And they haven't had a whole lot of time, but They've got good mentors. They've got good leaders around them. So I think we're in a good place. Can you talk about why you scheduled two teams like Michigan and West Virginia? We know that was a tall order to try to beat them. Um, you took a set off Michigan with very impressive, uh, 23rd ranked team in the country. But talk about scheduling two heavyweights for the Kristen Dickman Invitational and how you feel that will benefit the team as we go forward. Sure. Yeah. The, the Patriot League every year that I have been here has gotten more competitive. It's uh, they're bigger, they're stronger. The each team proses more of a physical challenge, more of a skill challenge. So, you know, that's there's no pushover games anymore. And I feel like at this point we need to be prepared for big ball teams. Americans got a middle who's six, four and a right side who's six, five. Uh, Colgate's got the returning Patriot League player of the year. Who's, a high flyer too. So as much as it seems like a tall order to be able to 
take on the West Virginias and Michigans of the world, a lot of the things that we learned from them are going to be directly applicable to the teams that we're going to play in the Patriot League. On top of that, it's just nice to play against a team that will not give you a single thing for free. We, we did not we did not get any cheapo points the entire night, either night. And so if we didn't earn it, we didn't get it. And if you can learn to play uh, a type of game that is you got to earn every point you got, then it will be nice when you play against some teams that actually, you know, give you a couple of ones that you don't deserve. And we're, we're hoping to be able to stay sharp and, and learn the lessons from those really good teams about consistency of play and being able to execute when, when the pressure's on. Thank you, Paco. Really appreciate your time. We appreciate what you're doing for Navy volleyball. Keep up the good work. I'll send it back to John to close us out. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Wags. Yeah. So um, on the immediate horizon for Paco Labrador, and Cami Herman and the rest of Navy Volleyball is the Liberty Invitational um, Friday and Saturday in Lynchburg, Virginia, playing Purdue Fort Wayne and Liberty on Friday. And then the Loyola Marymount squad on Saturday away from home for a while. And then I'll tell you what, um, just because there isn't a home game on September 25th uh, in Annapolis doesn't mean you don't come to Annapolis to check out uh Paco's ladies take on Colgate Friday, September 24th at 7 p.m. And then Army Saturday, September 25th, 7 p.m. We want to see all of our listeners there supporting, making that field house loud, as Coach Labrador was talking about. Um, Coach, thank you so much for joining us. Um, appreciate what you do for the program. As we go out, I'm just going to ask you to, to talk about this podcast is all about the physical mission. In your time at the Naval Academy, what's so important about the physical mission? I mean, it's one of the most fulfilling jobs you can have when you know that you are going to be one third of a person's life. You know, we're, we're developing midshipmen morally, mentally, and physically. And I'm tasked with the physical part of it. While at the same time, if I can still help guide them through some of the moral parts of it and some of the mental parts of it, then they're just going to be better leaders in the fleet. And so I do feel like I can have a little bit of an impact on influencing how they're going to be successful leaders and successful parents and successful people in life. And so it's a really good job to have where you, you actually can make a little bit of an impact on people's lives. Coach, love it. Love hearing about it. We love doing what we do in order to highlight this. Thank you for being a part of it this week. Go Navy. Be at Air Force on Saturday. Go Navy. Kick ass in the Liberty Invitational. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Coach Paco Labrador um, of Navy Volleyball. When we come back, uh, Wags and I will take this baby out, break down what we should expect to see during the Air Force game. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. If you're looking for more in-depth coverage of Navy football, check out Bill Wagner, Keenan Reynolds, and Eric Catani on the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V, Believe. They do a recap show that looks just at the week that was in Navy football. And then they do a pod later in the week that looks ahead at the upcoming game. You can find that podcast and it's called Believe in Navy Football, B-L-E-A-V in Navy Football. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. So in addition to Sing Second Sports, check out Believe in Navy Football. Now back to the pod.
Hey, hey, we are back. Um, thank you so much again to Candy Herman and Papa Labrador uh, for joining us this week to talk about the Navy volleyball program. Um, as I as I told Cammy, you know, we 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 did not do our part last season to highlight volleyball. Kind of tough during the COVID seasons, um, but we're we're really looking forward to bringing our listeners much more uh, coverage of the volleyball program and everything that Coach Labrador has built. Um, as we go out, obviously the alligator closest to the boat, as I am wont to say, is the United States Air Force Academy coming to Annapolis. Uh, for one of those special games that we get to host in Navy Marine Corps Stadium, not a neutral site, um, coming off of a really big loss to Marshall Wags. Before I go any further with the preamble, tell tell us and the listeners what we should be looking for, what you're hearing in the uh, zooms this week from the coaches and the and the players, and how they're going to turn these frowns upside down for one of our signature rivalry games uh, this Saturday? First and foremost, they're talking about all of what could have been different on Saturday against Marshall had the defense come up with some turnovers. They forced four fumbles, but they only recovered one. And you may remember that one of those, Michael McMorris came on a cornerback blitz, hit the quarterback, he fumbled. That was at like the Marshall 18-yard line. If Navy recovers that fumble, you know, maybe you get an easy touchdown. There, You really think 49-7 is a total smashing, which it was, but as the game progresses and things happen, it, it kind of steamrolls. So when your offense goes in the red zone five times and can only come away with one touchdown, it's very deflating. Uh, when you get a turnover, they had two interceptions. Uh, one was late, so we'll discount that. But during the time that the game could have been changed in terms of momentum of an interception and a fumble recovery and, and the offense does nothing with them. So it's just a lot of what we call complimentary football that did not happen on both sides. So Ivan Jasper's talking about finishing. We've got the, the Navy football is that you score on a high percentage of red zone opportunities and not just field goals, touchdowns. So they, they got to do that. Can't blow opportunities against Air Force. There won't be nearly as many as there were against Marshall. And defensively, got to tighten some things up. Now, Coach Newberry uh, said, and the article was in the paper today, you know, if in hindsight, he would have uh, come out with a little bit different defensive game plan. Um, he's kicking himself. He's angry at himself, but there's nothing he can do now. But I, I, I have watched Coach Newberry, and I, I know that he will get this defense right. I do still believe in the talent over there with Diego Fugo, Kevin Brennan, and others. So I, I feel the defense will look much better against Air Force. That's a, a, you know, there's a comfort zone with playing option football. And I think the defense will come ready. The question is, what will happen offensively? And uh, our latest news is that Ty Lavatai is still not practicing. And it's uh, uh, starting to look more and more doubtful for Ty. So we may have a Xavier Arline uh, full game with, you know, Masai Maynard is the backup. So. That's what I'm seeing, John. You've got a bunch of storylines. We've talked about 9-11, um, and it's going to be a special day in Navy Marine Corps Stadium. I'm sure a lot of distinguished visitors going all over the place. It's a nationally televised game with CBS, Brad Nessler doing play-by-play, -play, Gary Danielson. We've got the new uniforms for Navy. The Air Force football team is honoring the B-52 Strato Fortress. 
um, you know, with, with their 2021 edition of the Legacy Series uniform. And then you have the conversations in and around Air Force with the turnbacks. Um, how much do you know, Wags, in terms of how much the Air Force Academy team, uh, at least the, the young men who are going to get starters minutes on Saturday, how, much, how many of them were the, were the benefactors of that turnback year? And does it really even matter? Um, yeah, like, should it be something that's viewed as a, um, you know, as a disparity in the, in the fairness debate, or is it just time to get between the lines and not lose 49 to 7? You know, it's a really good question, John, because there is a lot of talk about turnbacks. And I think ultimately the talk is about Air Force doing things differently than other service academies because we don't hear about turnbacks at Navy and Army. So the fact that Air Force just willingly allows 35 football players to leave school at, when they think that they're not having a 2020 season, and by the way, it backfired because they did that after the Mountain West Conference announced it was going to play spring football. And then, so Air Force sent 35 football players home thinking, oh, we're not playing football, let's save their eligibility. And uh, it turns out Mountain West reversed course and decided to play football. So Air Force uh, ended up having to play a season albeit a limited season. They only played six games, um, four Mountain West games and Army-Navy. But it turned out that they were a little depleted because of the, the players. An advantage, I mean, these guys were going to play against Navy last year. I mean, here's what scares me. 40-7 to seven with 35 players not in the program, they're, and now they're back. And I can tell you right now, the five most prominent turnbacks that are going to be on the field Saturday or on the defensive side of the ball. Jackson, the defensive end, uh, Lakota Wills, a linebacker, DeMonte Meeks, a linebacker, Trey Bug, a cornerback. That's five of Air Force's best defensive players. Jackson and uh, I want to say Meeks were both all Mountain West Conference picks in 2019. So five of the best players coming back off the turnback are, are defensive players. But I think ultimately – the, the more the larger question is the fairness. I mean, you know, what's Air Force do? If Coach Niamat was sitting right here next to us, I'm sure he'd say, hey, turn him back a year, turn him back two years, turn him back 10 years. It's time for us to get between the lines and hit somebody in the mouth. So it's time to do that. Um, the Air Force leads the overall series against Navy 31 to 22. Um, obviously, no shortage of storylines or motivation. Air Force is coming off of a shellacking um, of the Lafayette, Lafayette Leopards uh, last weekend in Colorado Springs. If you listen later on in the week to our guest picker series, assistant men's basketball coach Emmett Davis will give us kind of a quick rundown um, of what he saw of Air Force as he attended that game because his son, Broadneck High School graduate Shane Davis, actually played quarterback for Lafayette in that game. Uh, so it'll be an interesting perspective there. But you know, stick with us. We're going to bring you the 11.30 to 12.30 uh, pregame tailgate from the Graduate Hotel. Uh, we're going to be all over uh, the blue side, even the gold side maybe, but we're more gold blue side people um, on Saturday and obviously with the class of 96 uh, tailgate. So um, WAG's expert analysis, uh, we're, we're going to hope for a win. We'll bring you our picks with the guest pickers later in the week. And then stick with us on our Twitter, Instagram. And if you see us rolling around the blue side on Saturday, we'll bring you all the updates and hopefully a big Navy win 
to get this series to 31-23 instead of 31-22. Wags, thank you so much for being available this week and for the awesome coverage of Navy football and all Navy sports. Thank you to Chris Cervello, uh, our intrepid producer, and thank you to Ward, um, you know, still a part of the team, although he's out there tail-hooking like a crazy man. I'm John Schofield. Thank you for listening to Sing Second Sports this week. Go Navy, beat Air Force, we're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments. 